Welcome to episode 119 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Rojanne Robothon. She was actually in episode 115, which was released earlier this month, talking about women veteran authors and women who have written stories about military women. And so if you haven't had a chance to check that out either on YouTube or on the podcast, I highly recommend going to check that out. Rojan was part of that episode because she wrote a book called Working Moms, How We Do It. And after we did the podcast interview, we did a book exchange and I really enjoyed her book and was excited to share my book with her. She currently serves in the Air Force, and she joined the Air Force through the Reserve Officer Training Corps Scholarship. A guidance counselor had recognized her love of math and science and recommended she attend a math and science camp at the Air Force Academy. From there, she learned about ROTC and received a four-year scholarship with the caveat of getting her degree in physics. This has led her into a role in science and technology, and so we talk about what she's done in the military and how she came to write her book. So it's another great interview, so let's dive right in. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Roseanne. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here also. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? I decided to join the military when I was 17 years old and I had received a ROTC scholarship to go to really any school in the nation as long as I studied physics. And so I did it. And I didn't even want to study physics. I wanted to study chemistry. But people I talked to said, well, just try it. See if you like it for a year and you can always switch. That year was so hard. At the end of that year, there was another female and I in the program, and we agreed that we weren't quitting. I said, if you don't quit, I won't quit. And the two of us made it through the whole way. Wow, that's really cool that you had someone to go through it with, because I can only imagine my degree is in engineering, which is pretty challenging. And I took physics, so I know a little bit of how hard physics is, but that's crazy. Yep, so I essentially joined the military because they offered me, you know, free school. So how did you find out about ROTC to even get on the path of joining the military through the ROTC program? I had a great guidance counselor. I love her still today. Her name was Linda Thompson, and she knew that I loved math and science. And she nominated me to go to a summer science program that the Air Force Academy had. So I spent the summer building rock at the Air Force Academy. And at the end of that, you know, my name was in the Air Force system. And so they kept mailing me stuff, and I kept mailing it back. They kept mailing me stuff, I kept mailing it back. And then in the end, that's how I ended up with a scholarship. That's really cool. And so where did you go to college, and did you do a, a four-year degree program to get your degree? So I ended up going to Georgetown University and majoring in physics there, and I did complete it in four years. It was intense, but 
I didn't want to be there any longer or really incur any more because I still had other things I had to pay for. And I really didn't want to fall behind others. So I just hunkered down sometimes. And I don't know if everybody saw me, but I was getting school done and I had to take a full load of ROTC classes. So I was just busy. Yeah, I can believe that. I got my degree in five years. The ROTC classes and engineering, like the math and science, make it a really heavy load. So way to go. That's awesome. So where did you go after you graduated from college? So most of the people were like you and had engineering degrees. And they all got to go to L.A. Air Force Base at 21. Well, Roseanne studied, of course, science. So I made it as far as Albuquerque, New Mexico, to spend my time at a research lab. So my first assignment was doing space vehicles, but it was a research laboratory. That sounds really interesting. But also, Albuquerque is kind of a interesting city, and I don't really know what it was like when you were there. But the, the it's got like an interesting dynamic. But I know they do lots of like research and lab work on the base. Yeah, that's a really cool start. But it sounded like you would have rather went to L.A. Mostly because all my friends, like everybody I knew, went to L.A. Like the place to be when you're 21. And I went to Albuquerque. I was like, what is this? But it turned out to be a great experience. I made new friends. That's awesome. So how long were you in Albuquerque before you moved to your next assignment? I was in Albuquerque for three years. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. to work in intelligence organization, National Reconnaissance Office. And I worked on launching mock. That is really cool. I've had fun. Yeah. I know about the NRO because I know people who work there. And so that's pretty cool. I'm sure there's not really anything you can tell us except that it was a really cool job. Well, and I worked on launch people. So I got to go to all the launch sites, climb up and down rockets, really kind of fulfill a dream. Who knows now with space work? I hope I'm not too old or maybe I'll be on the geriatric crew and they send up some old people. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah, my husband just got selected for Space Force, and we're really excited about it because it's just, it's an exciting time to be in the military and to be part of a brand new branch and be on the cutting edge of all the new technology. So it's, it's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you get to go down to like Cape Canaveral and then Vandenberg? Were those like the main launch sites? Okay. Yeah, I know my space stuff. <laughs> I've learned a little. That's so cool. So do you have like a favorite memory from that time or was it just all like you just loved all of it i think my favorite memory most takeaway was the colonel who he allowed me to just learn and i got tagged up with a master card and he just climbed through the rocket he explained everything to me he showed me he taught me it was a great experience kind of thing that you know you get to do as a lieutenant as a captain that you don't ever get to do again that's true. You get to do a lot of cool stuff as a lieutenant and captain, and then and then you get to do paperwork. <laughs> that turns out to be the rest of your life. Yeah. So after you left there, or you, how long were you there? Well, I spent four years doing that, and then I went to Wright Pat and worked on the Predator and Reaper team. That's pretty cool, and that's like that was new, or it kind of is still new technology. But you were helping create like all the computer programming behind it, or what was the? So I did the ground trailer box that sat on the ground that controlled the UAV, the UAF, 
And it was an exciting time because that was growing as an associate. People forget about that now, but we were looking at body counts on TV every night. America was just super concerned about it. And the predator was new at that point. So we were able to provide that overhead IFR to give additional awareness on battlefield. It was just a cool technology at the time. Yeah, that's true. I don't think people remember we're really good at forgetting like how new technology comes in it changes how we operate and we forget like the difference between before and like how we operate today correct yeah that sounds really cool how long were you at Wright Pat? So I ended up spending five years at Wright Pat, and then I went from there to school and I have the incredible opportunity to go to school with the army they sent me to school at army team back out in love on campus crazy because I am super Air Force and like not really Army and all of a sudden I was with a group of people who had all these comeback movies and they were talking about land battles and I was like we just need air power air power is the answer <laughs> so it was definitely an interesting time yeah that's funny I deployed with the Army and I was like, I don't understand how this happened. I joined the Air Force. There's like a reason. And the cultures are so different. They really are. And at that time, too, you know, you could get up real early and run. And I was like, what's wrong with running with the sun up? You know, like, why do we have to do this? And they would just look at me like, Air Force. (laughs) It was fun, though. It was a great experience. I actually learned a whole lot that I've actually used in my career. But at the time, it was like, why me? Why am I here? But it was great. Yeah, I think getting to see the different culture and learning from a different perspective, especially like military side, is a really important and great thing to do. So that's awesome that you got to do that. So is that a year? That's a year long course? That was a year long one. Then I came back to the D.C. area and went to air staff. So I was working in the Pentagon, you know, moving paper from left to right every day. Very unexciting, but important work that had to be done. I went from there to my uh, 05 command. I was picked up the material leader, just the acquisition forward command. Then from that job, I went back to the Pentagon and served as Dr. Roper, the head of South A2, his Milicis. Then from that job, I went back to Ganero, where I am now. Uh, and spending a year here as my first OSIC job. And then next summer, I'm going to go over to Bowling and work at the RCO, the Rapid Capabilities Office. It's going to be a great culmination, you know, to my lieutenant years to where I actually get to lead as an OSIC. I'm super excited. That is super exciting. And that's so amazing to see like your whole career path and how you like went to the NRO and then you bounced around and then you ended up back there as a colonel. And that's just so amazing to hear about all the different things that you got to do. But I think the thing I find most interesting is that you're a colonel, but you're also an author and you're working to like start a business on the side on top of doing all the things you're doing for the military. So how did you end up writing a book while on active duty? And and what was the importance of doing the book? So it began in the second time I was in So by that time, I had three months. And when I went to the NRO that second time, my youngest son was right around, I mean, the youngest one was right around one. And there was one day I ended up back at home 
And I was just low. One of those mom moments where you just want to sit on the floor and cry, holding your baby. And I started blogging. I just started writing. I started off like today's the day to just talk about being a mom and working and how hard it is sometimes. I feel like by myself and there's not a lot of support. You have to take leave. People in the office are looking at you like, you have to leave. Where are you going? It's fun again. And so I just started writing. And I would write one a month, you know, some story, some reflection that ties to me being active duty and trying to raise a family. And from there, at some point, I was like, I should just put it all into a book and put it out there for more people to have access. And that's ultimately what I'm That's really cool. So let's backtrack into your career a little bit and talk about when did you get married or are you married now? So I got married when I moved from Albuquerque. I left in Albuquerque to back to DC for that first time. So we're not going to have. So we left from here at DC went to write that. And we got married, and that was part of our lives. And we were young and naive. We thought it'd be easy, it'd be great, we'd go back to career, it'd be awesome. And it was for a while, but too long. And when I had my first one at Wright Path, I was confused. It was a CDC, it's not a five, five minute walk from my office. I could go there at lunch, I could do the activity. It was great. I had my second son there, and then we left six months after he was born to go play with the army here. And that's when the shock happened. When I PCS there, I just had an assumption I would get a CDC slot, and they told me there was a year wait. And I was like, it's a 10 month school, right? Like, that doesn't add up. And they, you know, I'm not going to say they weren't helpful, but they were kind of like, over to you to figure it out. But fortunately, someone had told me about NACRA at that point before announcing child care aware. And so with their help, I was able to find child care off base. But it was incredibly stressful. I was driving the opposite direction of the base to two different places to drop my kids off, to then go to work in an intense, challenging environment. It was just stressful, right? So from there, we moved here to D.C. Now I have like an 18-month-old, like a three-year-old, and I'm a little more hip to the game. So I've called ahead. I've you know, found child protection wherever things played. We got back to D.C., and now I decided to have a third child. And that's when things really blew up again. Because now I went to the place where I needed before and after care for my oldest child. I needed preschool care for the middle son. And I needed infant care. And trying to find all of that at one facility is nearly impossible. And then trying to find quality and not be driving all around Northern Virginia because it snows, the traffic is bad, there's all these rules about the time frame you have to take your kid up when they're sick. So it's a lot. So I finally get all that figured out, you know, I'm taking the bus to and from work, doing all these different things. And then I got to that point, you know, where someone calls you to get your kid and you come home. And that's where I was telling you, you're just like on the floor holding your baby. And I said, okay, you know, this is a moment to express my feelings because I can't be the only one. There has to be someone else out there. Yeah. And your husband, did you guys meet, was he active duty as well? So are you dual military added to having kids and a family and all that? So we're not. And, you know, sometimes people think it's easier to have dual military or to have a civilian spouse. I don't know if you can choose between the two. 
my husband has not been an author, but he has his own career. He has his own goals. And sometimes civilian life is even less understanding than military life about what I need to go do and how he has to like, come in back so behind me. Whereas military, that's kind of accepted and okayed. So pluses and minus on both ways. But you know, for our whole career, he's been a civilian. Yeah, I agree. I think that you can't say one's easier than the other because they both have just different challenges and it's like apples and oranges and yeah. And there's no point to compare because it's like, I have it harder. I have it harder. Like, who cares? It's hard for both of us. Yeah, we did dual military for six years. And then when we had kids, I was like, we can't do this dual military thing anymore. That's great that he's been able to like move around the country and have a career. I'm sure it's been challenging to make it all work. But that's, that's good that you're able to do that. So you wrote, so you wrote a blog, and then you were like, I'm gonna write a book. And now you have a business and you're a mom of three boys. How do you, and you're working, t- or your the title of your book is Working Moms, How Do We Do It? So how do you do all of these things and survive? You know, so the book is a survey of many women in the military. Um, all different services, all different uh, lifestyles, whether they're divorced or single. Dual military or military and civilian service. And then I even have some women who are of the same caliber, but not in the military and just kind of going through all of their stories. And really what I discovered through that process is kind of four concepts. And I call it SOAR, S-O-A-R. Everyone has support. Everyone's organized or working to be better organized. We're all continuing to expire. We're like in the hunt. We want more. And the R is resilient. And each of us in our own way practices some sort of resilience technique to make it through. And so that's really what the book goes through. And it tells people, tells others their stories and walks through the SOAR principle so that others can incorporate them in their life. Because ultimately, my whole goal in all of this is for more women to stay in it. You know, stay in the military and do it married if, if that works out for you, but definitely with your family. You know, you should be able to have kids and serve in the military. I think it's wrong that people are forced to get out or there's that life decision that happens. And it happened to many of my friends. I'm the only team off of my year group to win. And it was all because of those choices that the military ultimately put on their family about the female's ability to stay in to be with their husband. And I, I just think that now in 2020 and beyond, we can be more creative. You know, we can reimagine the future. We can reimagine childcare. We can reimagine how we look at family doing together so that we keep families together and everyone continues to serve in the military. Yeah, that's really great. That sounds like a really interesting book. And I'll link to it in the show notes so that people can find it if they want to order it. And it's it's just so interesting because I feel like that's the perfect way to find out how women do it is to interview other women and hear their stories and then take apart take like the four main concepts so that and that makes a lot of sense and I know the military is working to try and make changes to make it more friendly it's really hard for me I knew that at the time 
the deployment window was six months after my son was born, and I knew that there was a high chance that I was going to deploy, and I didn't want to leave my six months behind and go off to war. I don't know what it would have been like had I had a year. It would have been a different conversation, but I think they're trying to make things better, but it's really hard to be in the military and then to be a woman in the military is, I think, in a way, somewhat even more challenging, especially being a mom. I agree, but I think there is definitely a place for women in the military. There's a place for moms in the military. And I really want to see more women make it higher in the ranks as moms and married. You know, if you look at the, the generals, I'm so off, it's so exciting about the number of female jobs. But I really am excited now that there are some that have young kids, you know, and that they're married. And I think that sends a great message to the rest of us. You don't have to sacrifice being a mom. You don't have to sacrifice being married in order to serve your nation. I think that's an unfair act. That's so true. Yeah. And it is starting to change. So that that is a, a positive thing to see. Because, yeah, before, a lot of the times, if it was a woman who was a general, she wasn't married, she didn't have kids, and that was, like, what was expected when... It's never been expected of males to not have families and to be at the same rank. So was there anything from your time in service or that I missed that you wanted to cover in this part of the interview? I have one more question, but I wanted to give you one more chance to cover something in case I missed it. I want to encourage everyone who's listening to this to continue to soar, right? To think about those principles, think about how you can incorporate them to your life. And to find a way to keep on keeping on. I know it sounds like a platitude. Or it sounds like, oh, you make it sound so easy. But it's not. But I, I want to believe that the joy and the satisfaction of achieving you know, is worth it. And bringing your family along with you. And bringing other women with you is what we're here to do. Right? I love serving my nation. I have some of the coolest jobs working with cool technology. But I also love my husband and love my boy. And I want both worlds to work together. And so I just want to encourage everyone to find that path for you. Find someone you can talk to. Find a way to leave those two worlds together so that you can be together for I love that advice. And it really ties in well with my last question, which is what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? I would say go Air Force. <laughs> or maybe even go Space Force now. I would say do it. You know, do it, jump in, go at it, do your best, give it your all. And at every point, never make a decision before it's time. I have probably been getting out of the Air Force for as long as I've been in. Almost, I can at least think of two separate times where I was like, I'm getting out. I can't do this. I'm done. And it was actually you know, male bosses who sat down with me and like, Roseanne. Let's talk about that. You know, what's going on? And we were able to come up with a solution. And here I am, you know, 21 years in. And if I had stepped out many years ago, I wouldn't be here. And I, I want to encourage everyone to just go for it as best you can. And don't make a decision until you have to. And then really talk to lots of people about that. Because there's often an answer that you just don't know about. You know, there's options that I didn't think I could ask for or things I could do that were right there all along. And that's how I've been able to stay here, you know, be in the Air Force for 21 years. Yeah, that's really cool. That's great advice. I think sometimes we limit ourselves by not asking questions or going to mentors to get help and to see if like 
we feel like this is the only way forward, but maybe there actually is another way. So I think that's great advice. And I think I agree. I think it's, the Space Force is so exciting. I'm like, I'm a Space Force. Well, now I'm a Space Force spouse and I'm just so excited about what's coming. And I think Air Force, Space Force, they're both great. All the other, all the branches are great, but you know, we'll be the have a, a bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed getting to hear your story and just hear about your experience. I haven't talked to anyone who did like lab specific work. And so I find that really fascinating. to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.